This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Oh my God, fam. Welcome back to the WOMED. Do we have an insane episode for you? I hope that you had your coffee on this Monday morning because in order to keep up with the energy of this episode, you're going to need it. Or maybe you might just be so energized after it that like you're going to be flying off the wall today. It's going to be great. (laughs) We totally didn't introduce ourselves, but that's fine. You know, I'm Dee and Jackie here. And we are your hosts of the WOMED and we cannot wait. This is such a banging episode. We have Dr. Christy Crow. She's a veterinarian. And, you know, especially through this whole pandemic, veterinarians have really been like this silent profession. You know, they never got a day off. Y'all are going to love it. We, we had a ton of stuff. I don't want to give away any spoilers. We'll just end it there. I'm excited, y'all. All right. It's time for one of my favorite segments, Nursty Energy. And this week we had a guest write in and DM us on Instagram and ask for a little... A little pep talk, a little pep talk action. Miss Tamara is from Boston. She's working yes. as a nurse mm-hmm. at the bedside, bedside right now. Ugh, yeah. That's just, uh, this whole year, last two years. For our nurses Ooh. out there working at the bedside, this one is, this one's not just for you, Tamara. This is for all of you. All of you working at the bedside right now. Tamara, we just want you to know, we hear you, we value you. And, you know, I know you talked about like feeling like the small things are going unnoticed. They don't go unnoticed. Your patients don't unnotice those. And it's, it's hard when you feel undervalued by your health system. And it's super overwhelming to think about how to even make changes in the healthcare system. Completely. It's, you know, the little tiny things that... <sighs> They add up. They can be exhausting. And especially when you have patients or you're working with other nurses or a team that don't always say thank you, right? We work in a profession where a lot of times our work does go unnoticed, but we have to start kind of finding these little practices that remind ourselves that the work that we do does matter. And that even if we aren't hearing the thank yous, even if we aren't getting the pat on the back, that the little things we do are absolutely making a difference. And the patients may not say it right now, but they do appreciate it. Their families appreciate it. Definitely. This goes for everybody that is listening right now. Take some space for yourself. I know that sounds kind of like woo-woo, whatever. It's important. Take some space for yourself, whether that looks like sitting, lighting a candle, take a bath, journal. I don't know what that looks like for you. But take us in a story on whatever that is and just take that, take that space and enjoy it. Yeah, we want to know how you are taking care of yourself this week. And we will also be sharing how we're going to take care of ourselves this week, the little things that we're going to do to 
take those moments, take some breaths, whatever that looks like for you. So Tamara, this one is for you and all of our nurses, all of our healthcare workers out there that need a little extra love. And one, two, two three, Womad squeeze. We're sending it right to you. Send in those virtual hugs. We're squeezing ourselves right now. We are. We hope you felt that. Christy, I'm so happy you're here. I am so happy to be here. Dogter, Christy. Do you know how hard it is to say dogter? No, it really is. It really is. You know how hard it is to not introduce myself to clients as dogter? Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm Dr. Christy, but I'm also Dr. Christy. And then sometimes it just comes out very weird in the exam room. Um, so then it's just very your awkward. Dog, your dog actor. <laughs> How did, did you come up with dogter? Because it's very catchy. Yeah, because when I was in vet school, when I first decided to kind of make my social media, it was, I believe, second year of vet school. And I'm one of those people that I don't like to put doctor in front of my, in front of my name until I am a doctor. And so I was like, dogter, it's still credible. But I'm not putting that stress on myself to have to be the doctor and serve up actual really credible facts as a veterinarian would. So that was my strategy with Dr. Christie. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of vet Instagrams going on. And yeah. so it really wasn't a popular name taken. Now, you know, fortunately, but unfortunately, there's a lot of doctors so-and-sos out there. But yeah, that's where it originated from. So you're the OG doctor. I don't know. I I don't want to say yes, but back then there wasn't a lot of. Doctors. I'm going to say you're the OG. <laughs> we're 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 officially calling it here on the WOMED today. Christy yes. is the OG dog tour. So all you other copycats out there, you ain't got hit, nothing hit the on this girl. <laughs> you guys are awesome. <laughs> so in case you didn't figure it out, Christy is a veterinarian, a general practice. Veterinarian? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's also something I feel like people, when they hear about veterinarians, like some people are like, oh, well, they must know about all these different things, right? Which you do, obviously, but there's different specialties within veterinary medicine. Like you have like oncology veterinarians and general practice. You have like ones that specialize in surgeries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If the way I explain it to people, especially people that are really familiar with healthcare for humans is basically any specialty that there are for humans, there is for veterinary medicine. The only difference is like, for example, humans, like there's like gastroenterology, there's like more tailored and specific special like subspecialties. But, you know, with veterinary medicine, that would be more like internal medicine, orthopedic surgery, general surgery, oncology, cardiology, neurology, dermatology. So all the ologies. Yeah. So there's a lot of specialties and there's additional training just like human doctors, nurses have to do as well. Um, but what's also cool about it is you really don't have to specialize to um, like go through the extra training and schooling to actually be able to do specialized procedures and things. And so that's where it's a little bit different with animal medicine and human medicine is I do so many advanced surgeries already. Um, and I didn't do the additional residency training. It was, I just trained by my mentor who has a lot of experience. And so that's why it's kind of cool. You can kind of tailor your path in a different way because veterinary medicine is super broad. Yeah. Uh, so is it not quite as regulated then? <sighs> so it, it's a good question. So it is, you know, all of the specialists, they're board certified. 
you know, they go through this, the, the training, the testing to have those letters behind their name. And ultimately, you know, they are kind of the bread and butter, the gold standard for kind of those advanced procedures. But kind of what makes veterinary medicine a little difficult is with animals, not all or really not majority of owners can actually afford that kind of care. Yeah. And so, you know, that leaves general practitioners like myself, you know, in a position of it's either I tr- I try it and I try to save this animal's life, otherwise they suffer. And so, yes, it's regulated, but there's a little bit more wiggle room, I would say, because, you know, costs are such an issue, um, availability, low, you know, it's so hard to even get into a hospital. So I think over time, us veterinarians, especially general practitioners, have really honed in and advanced our skills because we have to. We have to be able to provide those services to these animals that couldn't afford, you know, that cost of that procedure at a specialty clinic with a specialist. And it's not like we're, you know, practicing kind of diminished medicine or surgery, but it's just kind of a different route to get there. It's funny that you say that, Christy, because for me as a family nurse practitioner student hoping to go into primary care, we're talking about completely different species from humans to animals, but there's so many parallels that I'm noticing you talk about here, like um, not having access or the the finances to have these specialty procedures. So what can we do in primary care? What What was it about general practice that really caught your eye? Is that a specialty that you always knew you wanted to get into? Well, it's actually, that's so funny that you asked that because First year of vet school, I went to Purdue. That's where I went to vet school saying, I want to be a cardiologist because I had a really good experience with the cardiologist at Purdue who worked with my dog that unfortunately at that time had a hemangiosarcoma um, and passed it away. But his interaction with me was so inspiring and uplifting that I wanted to be just like him. So I thought that meant I wanted to be a cardiologist. Fast forward to the first week of vet school, I was like, F no, I'm not doing that. No, no. I was like, I cannot imagine being in more school that I'm already going to be in for four years. So, you know, over time, and I'll probably, we'll probably get into this a little later too, my paths kind of changed throughout vet school. I was like, I'll never be a general practice veterinarian. That's so boring. Why would I ever want to do that? Just, I don't want to be a vaccinate veterinarian, you know? And so I was like- Vaccinatronarian? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yep. And so I was like, or a vaccinarian. I was like, no, I don't want to be that. Um, and so over time, I was kind of like, maybe I want to do neurology instead. And then I was like, no, again, I don't want to do more schooling. Um, and then, you know, second, third year, my passion for public health and wildlife really blossomed. And so then I was more going on the public health route. And so the end of third year, beginning of fourth year, um, I had to make that decision of, do I do more public health or do I do general practice? And I ultimately decided to do general practice because one, with a huge amount of student loans hanging over my head, the job offer I got in South Africa, I couldn't justify with paying my student loans and kind of being away from family right away. So ultimately, I went to general practice just so I can get some clinical medicine. And then I really realized the biggest things that I love about veterinary medicine is developing that relationship with my clients and their animals and walking them through their first moments they got that puppy until the last moments. And so that was really intriguing to me as a veterinarian for general practice because I could be that person for my patients and clients. And then um, also I told myself, I don't need to limit the other passions I have. So I do still plan to do my public health work and wildlife conservation because that's super important to me. The last three, four years, I've been going to um, different uh, countries in Africa 
um, in other countries in kind of um, Asia as well, doing different kind of wildlife conservation, public health, um, and different projects. And so that's why I was like, okay, I could do general practice and still eventually get some leeway to take time off and go back and do those things like a rabies clinic. And, you know, I just, those are where my passions are. So that's where general practice made sense because I could make those relationships, practice medicine, get good at surgery, you know, form these bonds, but still have the availability to go and do my other passions and work towards a different goal. That's so cool. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. And I, I also just have to ask because my goddaughter is actually very interested in being a veterinarian. She is in high school and then, you know, she's trying to start figuring out schools and stuff like that. Hey, Marina. But like, what is like that, that pathway? Like, do you, ha- you have to go through like a four year degree first, right? And then you like apply to med school? Yeah, it's very similar to human medicine and how you apply to get into medical school. You do the prerequisites you need to get to get into vet school. And so if you're like a go-getter, you don't want to have fun in college, you are just straight, you know, straight track mind, you can technically get into vet school after two years. Yes, you might be doing 30 credit hours a semester, um, not socializing and doing much, but it is doable. Basically not living the college experience. I I can't imagine. Seriously, I really can't imagine. Um, So yeah, you first two years were the best. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. Definitely. Last year when you're like, you're like, shit. I know. That was me. I was like, whew. But yeah, so you can technically get into vet school a little bit earlier, but truly it's a, you know, the traditional route is you do four years of undergrad, then you apply and then, you know, you help you get in. Um, And then of course, if you want to do more specialty training, it's kind of also similar to human medicine where you do an internship, one or two of them, then a residency. Um, So it's competitive. And another thing is we take the GRE Whereas human medicine does the MCAT, but a lot of vet schools also do accept the MCAT as a testing score too. Oh my God. I really didn't know that. Vet schools can accept the MCAT. Yeah. Yeah. And it was more so, I think in the beginning, they only 
accepted the MCAT. So veterinarians were taking the MCAT. This was probably years and years and years ago. And then now, gradually speaking, now vet, a lot of vet schools aren't even doing, they don't even require the GRE, let alone the MCAT. So, but yeah, there are still schools that accept the MCAT as your testing score to get into vet school. Wow. I, I had no idea. That is so wild to me. But, you know, it's funny, like how we keep overlapping these conversations. Obviously, our specialties, Danielle and I are in humans. Uh, but I am seeing a lot of overlaps still with what you're talking about with um, with the overlap of public health and with general practice and primary care. So can you give us an idea of like, what does public health mean in terms of animals? Yeah, yeah. And so that is a great question. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. The biggest example we have today is COVID. Okay, zoonotic disease people, you know, transmission from animals to humans. So that's a big thing that I feel like people could really resonate now. But, you know, more so a lot of the examples I like to give previously before this pandemic hit. Um, for example, my last year of vet school, so I guess that's two years ago now, um, I did a rotation in Malawi. And so um, one of my public health projects there was um, kind of a rabies clinic. So I'll just show you two different examples. We did a rabies clinic for the local village. And in Mal Malawi, I believe Malawi is number one or number two for the highest incidence of rabies deaths in children. Um, and so a lot of things they struggle with in these villages are um, the dog populations becoming rabid and then also infecting the wildlife populations that also become rabid and can attack the children, the you know villagers. And so one, vaccinating these animals so that we can try to reduce the amount of actually rabid animals is super important, but also educating uh, the community. Um, and so that's why I really, really like it very huge end goal for me would to would be to have a group of healthcare professionals going to do these service projects together and working on it in every single asset. It's one health. It's one health. And so that's like what I'm really passionate about. I just have to figure out how to get there. And obviously I'm in my first year and like three months of being an actual doctor. So I have time. And of course, it's not the best time anyways, because the pandemic and traveling. But that's just an example of something bigger that people don't realize veterinarians are a part of. Um, and another project I did was... Um, uh, zebra tracking. And so tracking the different um, zebra populations on the reserve by their stripes, because their stripes are similar to our fingerprints. And so, oh, no, cool. yeah, yeah. And so knowing, you know, is this, you know, let's say Fred, they had, they all had names. So let's say Fred, we couldn't find Fred for a while. Fred's been gone. Then we have increased suspicions that poachers are in the area. And so that project was more centered around surveillance of the wildlife and how poachers impact them. And so I mean, that is still, it still ties into public health, but these are just some projects that are really, you know, passionate to me because a lot of these things can help human lives, like eradicating rabies. That could help so many of these impoverished communities actually survive. And so that's just one big example, you know, other than our pandemic today. <laughs> okay. I also have to say, how do you, I mean, like, obviously you can't fingerprint a zebra, but how do you track that pattern? Is it like a specific, do you take like, just through like pictures yeah. and like you just like like pull the lines up and it like match and like place them over like it on foot I, I don't know no, like, great question no first, seeing something different in my head that I can't what verbalize. you're seeing in your head is basically what it is so they would have pictures of I almost said the, the animal lateral on the side um and you could see the different stripes they all have different stripes some of them have like a different color some of them have different thicknesses and then you basically compare and so oh, cool. yeah they're actually quite different and so that's kind of how you have to kind of be at a distance but it is amazing how close you can truly get 
but then it gets a little bit scary when they all are turning their heads. Um, is, but- I want to know, is Fred a real zebra that you have met before or yes. did you just oh my yeah gosh. definitely i'll have to it's- send you guys the the photos they're somewhere on my instagram of me doing like the tracking so i'll have to send it to you guys because it's really cool i know that tracking is really big with sharks right yeah yeah um that's a little bit different where sharks are actually chipped and tracked yeah, yeah. right Exactly. That's like the one thing that I, but I had no idea that there were now when you're tracking these zebras, is it because of in, like endangered and wildlife that that's kind of more the conversation? That's yeah, why. Yeah. Cause in a lot of these places, um, in South Africa, I guess this was Malawi, but any, a lot of the different countries in Africa, poaching is so big and so huge, so dangerous. And that's why it's very important that they can try to find these poachers because they're reducing the wildlife population and the wildlife population that people don't understand they actually work to help the ecosystem too and so you know certain wildlife that's in an area reduces you know a certain kind of pests and or you you know kind of helps the environment um you know knock down trees you know etc it's all it's all synergistic and so that's why that project is important so we they could help track the different poachers and see where these animals may be going Um, because a lot of times they'll find them in traps and they always mark them too if um you know they do have a suspicion that a poacher is going after them so um it's it's a lot and it it gets dangerous too and so um, especially with the rhinos the rhinos i did work with some rhinos as well but that was in south africa um and there's 24 hour surveillance on these animals like there's park rangers driving around and around and around and it's like that's like a whole another conversation which is crazy cuz people fake being you know surveillance guys only to kill those animals and it's just wild it's truly wild it sounds like you've had some pretty incredible experiences going to all of these different countries did you ever find yourself in a situation that was a little scary or did you always feel kind of safe and supported yeah, there was definitely a lot of Yeah, I think that there's something more. <laughs> I'm catching some underlying tones yeah. here and I want to know the full story. No, there's I, and I wish I could think of all the times because I've been to Africa a good amount of times, a good handful. And I mean, this is scary but kind of funny. And one time on one of the game reserves I was working at in South Africa, the rhinos escaped. They knocked down the whole fence. So now it's more common that game reserves are like just huge plots of land and they have to fence them off to protect the animals because they can't just run free because people are are killing them. Uh, But these (laughs) rhinos ran through the gate and they were running free on the road. We had to go like catch them. And it was wild at night. I have videos of off the send you guys. It was we were like screaming. It Rhino was, catching. Yeah. And we're gonna post we're gonna post a video of this on the woman. Don't the, worry. Oh my god, I think I'm like screaming bloody murder. It's gonna be very comical for everyone. <laughs> so what was it about these countries that did you kind of have your eyes to go travel certain places or were these countries that were somehow connected to your school? Yeah, that's a good question. I think just ever since I was little, I'm half Japanese. So my mom, I would travel to Japan a lot. And then my parents love traveling. So I got to travel a lot. And they just instilled a travel bug in me. So then I just it just became like an addiction. And then I, you know, my passion of veterinary medicine, I was like, how can I put these together? And so I think it first started when I graduated my senior year of undergrad, that I was like, my graduation present was to go to South Africa and work at this cheetah reserve. And so I was like, I want to go let me see what it's about. I went by myself. Um, and so I worked at this cheetah reserve doing conservation uh, management for cheetahs, obviously. Um, and ever since then, I was like, I have to go back to Africa. I have to go back to different parts of Africa. Obviously, I acknowledge that's just a continent. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it just, I could not stop going. I think I've literally went every year since then. 
And so a lot of the times then when I went to vet school, I immediately asked the international programs guy, when can I get in to do a study abroad? I did a study abroad every year of vet school. So cool. (laughs) Yeah. So you guys, I'm like starting to regret my life choices listening to Christy. I know. It's very exciting. These are the things that get me excited. You know, it's just, it's sad because it's not always a true reflection of the job, but it's the things that get me hopeful to get back to uh, because it is, they, they all just such exceptional experiences. Now, I do have a question because, you know, obviously there's like a huge problem with like you know, people going on like mission trips, right? And that whole sort of, um, I shouldn't say sort of the white savior complex, like aligned with that going to like orphanages, obviously, this is with kids. But how does that look in the animal world? Like, are you when you're going there on these conservation trips? Are you creating like more jobs? Are you going there doing like teaching and stuff? with the um, people that are like working there? Are you working alongside them? Are you bringing resources? Like, just like, like, what does that look like? Yeah, usually the the projects I've been a part of have already been um, individuals that have established that program there. So the one in Malawi, there's a veterinarian who's been living in Malawi for years. She's originally from Louisiana, I believe. Um, But her and another veterinarian that's from the UK, um, we're working at this wildlife preserve and then started kind of the rabies clinic. And so those are things that they had started to help get the kind of wild dog population. And and I guess, I guess essentially all of them are kind of wild um, because pets, they're kind of a loose term. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but, But, but yeah, you'll, and that's why these things, most of the things I've done have already been established. Um, but I I do agree with you. It's I I try to be cognizant of the the kind of the white savior thing because there's a lot of children in these areas too, and and that's the biggest thing. I I, I hate I can't, I hate that. I I really hate that. And that's a big thing that I see the issue too when you're doing vet work is you're around these similar situations. Yeah, and not even just at a, as a vet, but you know I I know when my husband and I were originally planning our honeymoon, he's a huge animal dork. Like I'm I'm so sorry for Christy who probably has to deal with him for the next five hours. Okay. He's, we joke that he's like he's ear, probably listening. He's with ear, like Scott a glass his ear dropping. The... His ears are just next to the office door, listening to every word that Christy is saying. But we were originally planning on doing a um, a honeymoon on a safari somewhere because he loves animals, and I was very conscious about how you know if we're going to do this, you know what do the ethics look like going to certain places versus others? Like, what does, what does that look like for you as a vet? Like, can you shed any light onto the conservation work that you've done and like how that looks for tourism essentially, because these things are all connected. No, definitely. Definitely. It's a really good, good point. You you just, you have to go, I like to research each area too. Um, and then with safaris though, cause I've been to, I've been to a lot of different countries in Africa, like Malawi, Zambia, Swaziland, Zimbabwe. It's just, it's a lot similar. And so I always just recommend kind of researching the area. Um, and then too, I like kind of with this, the white savior um, kind of complex and people go and visit. I just, the same thing, like educate or help in a way like to, to build up the communities or help the wildlife population rather than coming in and trying to change things. That was the biggest thing for me as a veterinarian or a vet student, I guess, at the time, um, going to these different places is I and this is my advice to other people traveling internationally in kind of a medical specialty. Don't go into these places thinking you're going to be the savior. You're going to change everything. You're going to teach them something new that they don't already know. Right, right, right. And it's like you can go there and help improve 
their situation, their projects, but you can't go in there and change things. And so I think that's the biggest mistake people make when they go abroad and especially on these like trips or the, the conservation projects is they think they're, they solely are going to make all of the difference, but it's really working alongside the communities, the projects, the animals to help better um, the situations and assist them. And actually I feel like I learned, it's really more of an opportunity for us to learn about these areas and, and conservation and, um, and, and how veterinary medicine works. Cause quite honestly, veterinary medicine is different everywhere. It's so crazy. Um, and that's what I've taken from all my international experiences is kind of how I can be a better veterinarian here by what I've learned internationally, because medicine is practiced differently. I'm sure you guys do appreciate that in your specialties too. I've been to Kenya twice working with a community uh, like a hospital and stuff that was set up uh, over there and just seeing like how the system works with in the village and the outlying villages and the resources that are what they what they not like make do with. Obviously, there's people that donate tons of different medicines and stuff like that. But like everyone that is employed there is employed is Kenyan, you know, it, the doctors, the clinical officers, the nurses, clinical health workers and stuff that they um, they train to go out into the communities to you do health checks, do weight checks and stuff like that. So everything's just kind of going back into the community, but no one's coming in there trying to change anything. They're trying to like make sure that their life is sustainable, but like teaching them with what kind of plants to like grow right? That, that help with, uh, AIDS prevention, you know, stuff like that little tangent there, all that to say when I was at the end of that trip, I've followed the David Sheldrick wildlife trust for so long. And it was like a dream of mine just to kind of, to go there and kind of see their setup. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a, um, a wildlife preservation, um, system that, you know, they take in, like mostly like orphaned infant animals that um, their parents have either been poached, killed. They get, they have teams that go out and get animals out of these like mud pits and stuff like that. Huge veterinary teams. Their largest, most, I guess, biggest source of their biggest population that they take care of though is um, baby elephants because their parents have been killed for tusks and stuff like that. But they have this beautiful system down and yes, they do invite people in to come and watch like the feeding times and stuff like that. Um, like you're not in there petting them. It's not a petting zoo. It's they do, though, have people like sponsor the different elephants and stuff like that. But then they reintroduce them back into the wildlife once they've grown up. And then they have like um, older bull elephants and stuff that kind of, you know, they they teach them how to be elephants. They do. Like it's it's so, it's so cool. And I'm going to put this video up too on the WOMED because I'll show y'all later. I was thinking about this last night. I was like, mm, it'd be kind of funny to play this, but that's just my humor. Um, I was taking a video of the elephants like at play. And there's one that was, I mean, it's just like a tiny rope that literally blocks you off. And this one elephant's like playing around with this like soccer ball. It was really, really cute. And then I hear this like a massive fart that just <laughs> kept going. And like you literally watch this video and you're like, where? And it's just 
you can't not laugh. You can't not smile. And it is the longest baby elephant fart you can imagine. You have it on video? <laughs> She's in tears. Please you hold have all to, the You have crush. to share with all of us, please. And everyone needs to see this video. Oh or listen. I'll post it on the WOMED, I promise. <laughs> She's literally crying. Like, it's crying. So, it's so I'm laughing because I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> Danielle, let me get you a tissue. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Straight tears. Sorry. <laughs> that was a tangent. Good old but elephant. It's going to be well worth it, I promise. Um, Christy, if you can't tell, elephants are my favorite. Those are my favorite. Oh. I, I'm dying to know. Are, what is your favorite animal? Is elephants, it ele- elephants? For sure. And it's so funny you guys asked that. I was driving here on the way thinking about some of the African And you saw an elephant? <laughs> no, I wish. I wish. But this was a weird thought I had. I was like, elephant surgery. How is that done? Because I've been in horse surgeries and, you know, their intestines is bigger than my whole body. And like holding those and having to moisten them throughout the whole surgery is very hard. But then I was like, but an elephant though, I was like, what size scalpel blade would you use? Would you use a scalpel blade? Would you use a chainsaw? Would you like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. What do you cut into an elephant with? I have to look that up. What do you, how do you sedate? Oh, I guess like a dart, but like, oh my God, how do you, how do you monitor an elephant sedation for surgery? How do you, or rhinos for that matter? That those. skin is like really you tough definitely to. Definitely dart. You usually have dart out of a truck or a helicopter. Fun fact, I got to practice darting out of a helicopter before. Whoa. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I did get to dart out of a truck, like actual real animals at Cape Buffalo, which is so cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know how a lot of the logistic goes for the actual surgeries of like, like intra-abdominal or anything for the large animals like a large large elephants rhinos um like i've seen them trim the the tusks or and the the yeah the tusks of the rhinos because that's they cut them off every couple years and they store them in safes that you have to like secure at a bank it's like that serious um well why do they why why would you have to cut off a rhino horn because then it's not a then there's no horn for them to kill the animal for so if the horn's oh. gone, the horn grows back though. And okay. so if like that, if that horn is gone, um, or they don't, ha- they don't have one, then there's no use for them to to kill that animal. And then the they don't go extinct. Like we saw, was it the gray rhino or the no white rhino, white rhino that just went extinct like this year? That's devastating. Less we are seeing animals go extinct in our lifetime. And uh, it brings up like such a good point. I think the interconnectedness of all of this, right? Like the environmental health issues, how climate change is affecting these animals, how climate change is causing more zoonotic, is that the right term? Diseases such as COVID, right? And um, I don't think that we think about this very often, how our relationships with the animals, with the environment, directly impact the health of each other and the planet. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. A hundred percent. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. 
yeah, that's just, it's so crazy to me. And, you know, you've been to so many different countries and had so many different incredible experiences. Like one, I feel like you should write a book because I already have, I need to hear all of these stories, but two, how has this past two years been on you not being able to travel? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's like, I got so pumped up and I'm, I'm still excited about what I do, but like us talking about my biggest passions is like good reminder for me because the last two years have been so hard. It's been hard for everyone, but especially a lot of us in veterinary medicine because it's nonstop. The more people that had been sitting at home in the pandemic, the more observation of their pets, the more medical attention they needed, and the more appointments that vets had to fit in. And so we don't turn anything away, unfortunately, at my clinic. I mean, like, it's fortunate because I get my patients get to see me, but I truly feel like it's unfortunate for my mental health. Um, and so really last two, like two years, especially in this pandemic, which is weird. I think, I don't know, maybe you made a reel about the pandemic being more longer than a year. And I was yeah, like, it's been almost two. <laughs> yeah, it's a like, toddler. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just been really tough because being a new doctor in a pandemic, working with a lot more angry and patient clients than you usually would, it was hard. Um, and then just working nonstop. It, it's just been a lot. And then not being able to travel, which is one of my outlets. It's one of my big things that like, keep me going. And it's just kind of my, I almost feel like it's one of my biggest purposes. It's kind of been hard. I feel like I've struggled a lot this year with being a new doctor, having to obviously learn all the medicine and surgery in real life. Cause you guys know in clinics versus real life, it's so different. It's so, so different. different. Like I sometimes don't understand schooling, like in what it was for. Something else that I think is really <laughs> like, I've, I heard this point recently and I have been so guilty of this, but for us as human providers, as nurses, doctors, when we take care of humans, it can be really frustrating when friends and family are constantly coming to us for their rashes or their cough or whatever. You're like, I'm not at work, but you all like, we know we've all been there. You get the text, you get a call. Hey, here's my rash. Like, do you think I need to go to the emergency room? I cannot imagine how that must be as a vet. How many of, you know, because for us, you know, I know however many nurses, doctors in my family, there aren't too many vets around. You're not as common as yeah. a doctor or as a nurse. So I can only imagine everyone in your life that has that question. Hey, my puppy, you know, is throwing up or, you know, is having some weird diarrhea. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? It's like, I feel like you don't get a break. No, you're right. You're definitely right. And it's, and you also find those situations and places that you didn't think you would. Like in your DMs? Yeah, uh, yeah, my DMs. But okay, let me tell you about something recently that happened. I just moved out from this heinous apartment <laughs> to a house finally. And right before I was moving out, I got this text from a number I didn't have. And it was like, Hey, this is Jessica from blah, blah, blah. Um, I have a question about my dog. And I was like, is the employee at my apartment complex really texting me about, about advice on her dog? I've never met her. I don't, I've never seen her before. How the hell did she get my number and my information? Obviously she went into the system and, or someone else told her there's a vet living here and so that really made me mad and i oh you believe it. i told the manager about that that's just inappropriate and also illegal <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah like, no i can't Boundaries answer yeah, and just, illegal no exactly exactly so that was a recent thing but 
a mistake I made when I first became a doctor was, you know, when I moved to that place, I did let a couple people know. They asked, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a vet. Really biggest mistake ever um, because then everyone knows you're a vet. And it actually had horrible situations where they're in that apartment complex. There was someone's dog that attacked, two of their dogs attacked another dog. And then, of course, because they, someone knew I was a vet, they called me, they brought the dog to me, and I had to bring this dog to emergency surgery five different times because this dog mauled the dog. Um, and it's just like, it's hard because everyone always needs something from you. And it's like, I do want to give, but then it's depleting me. And I can't, and then I can't give it to give myself and my energy, my time, my advice to the people that I truly care about. Um, and that I would really love to help other than people that just want, you know, some quick advice. But also you deserve to be paid for the services that you provide people. Yeah. True. So true. And so I mean, true. like, I'm totally guilty of this. Like, I I knew Stevie before I, knew <laughs> I would, like, DM her and I'd be like, Stevie, let me Venmo you, but, like, tell me what's going on with my and, like, cat. But, the, okay, so this is kind of, like, this is where I feel like I make exceptions because they're for the boundaries. Like, for example, mm -hmm. I feel like it's funny. I feel like Stevie and I are split with the Figs team. Like, yeah. half of people ask me, half will ask her. And it's so funny. But everyone always is, like, sending us money or, like, scrubs. Like, you know, Ruthie or, like, Kara, they'll be like, hey, here's, like, I have a question. Or even Adam messaged me the other day. But then I was like, hey. Um, Sweet, I Adam. Yeah. And I was like, um, Adam, can I have a favor in return? Um, does this look like a ringworm on my neck? Um, so, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I did see this video recently. <laughs> You're like, maybe I should have invited you over. <laughs> we, we have Christy in a plastic suit. Um, please tell us how you got ringworm. Okay. Yeah. So long it's so common. It is. Yeah, it, it is truly. Uh, it's it's amazing that I haven't hadn't gotten it yet. Really. Yeah. Um, but you'll be proud of me, Danielle, because recently I had this coming to life that I want to be better at cat medicine. I want to be I'm better so proud cat of you. doctor. I'm so damn proud of you. Yeah. So I was like, I'll start with kittens. You know, their murder mittens are smaller. Um, and so <laughs> murder mittens. I've never heard that. <laughs> okay. Christy really does not like cats. Oh, man. Really, honestly, 80% of the cats that come in and I vaccinate and they're fine. But the that. Honestly, I would say like 95, the 5% though, that are like scaling the walls, lunging at me. I'm like, someone. Oh, hell no. No, Yeah, I'm like, someone say a prayer. You're in an umpire mask. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it can be a lot. But yeah, yeah. So that's why I decided to go with the kitten route. And so I took on a client that was fostering a lot of kittens. And I'm like her sole doctor now. I think I was a little in over my head because her 16 kittens, um, 10 of them started showing signs of ringworm. And at the first appointment, I was a little concerned for one of them because um, he had a little bit of hair loss on the face. That's one of the most common areas on animals is like just alopecia or the hair loss kind of on the head ears. I looked at him and I was like, huh, is that a ringworm? I was like, eh, maybe not. Like, he's fine. And then right in that moment, he kind of lunged over the table and jumped his head right into my neck. And at the moment, I was like, oof, I hope that's not ringworm. But then moved on because the other kittens had bigger problems. Um, and then two weeks later, I looked at my neck. And then I also sent out a culture on that cat the, the few days later because I was like, I was like it's got to be ringworm. It was ringworm. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I was asking my human medicine friends. I was like, um, does this look like ringworm to you? <laughs> at least they could return the favor right, finally right, right. That's to what you. I was like, and I really have like my friends, like you guys, like I have no problems. It's just like the random people, like you meet on the airplane, you meet like yeah. in your neighborhood. I'm like, no. My annoying husband, who I'm sure is gonna ask you a lot of questions when you walk That's out okay. of here. That's okay. No, it's not. <laughs> 
But I mean, like, like I told you, I my grandparents farm. God, we had so many cats up there. I loved it. I was in heaven. But yeah, there's there's one little kitten that was just an absolute mess. There's fleas all over it. It was like losing its <laughs> hair, and I was like, oh my god, this poor baby. We're gonna take care of it. Gave it a bath. Got all the fleas off of it. What do you know? A couple days later, the whole family has like a ringworm patch. It took me forever to get rid of it. It like moved around in my body. Oh no, that's I am up at night. Like honestly, I think that I was embarrassed to tell you, but the reason I'm so tired today is that night for the last week I have been like could not sleep because I I think about the ringworm. I think about it so much. It's yeah. like a psychological battle for me, and I don't know why. You would think like I've gotten other zoonotic diseases before, but I was like this ringworm shit really get. And it's to not me. like it's an actual worm. It's just there's this weird. It's just it's creepy. It's annoying. My best bet was some sort of antifungal cream and a band-aid over it. So I wouldn't go. I know, I know. I think my band-aid fell off. Oh, the things that we do for our patients, humans yes. or animals, I guess. Yes. Seriously. Um, but, but you know, I'm like so curious that you've had so much travel experience, but through the pandemic, you've been knee deep in this in general practice and in primary care. So if you had like one piece of advice for new pet owners right now, what would it be? So many pandemic pets. Yeah. That's a really good question because I feel like I have so many pieces of advice. I don't know. The first, this is kind of rude that I'm about to say, but I feel like the first piece of advice I want to give is trust your veterinarian, guys. Don't trust Karen. Don't trust Susan. Don't trust Bob on the internet. Don't trust your pet smart friends, your pet co-friends. Really trust your veterinarians. Like I swear on our lives, we would not have gone through eight plus years of schooling just to feed you BS. That's like, that's what makes me sad is like, I read all these things about people thinking veterinarians are out to kill their animals. I was like, quite the opposite, actually. (laughs) We Uh, (laughs) went to school because we like animals. Yeah, like I've had so many nasty clients this last week. This last week was actually horrible. But like just straight like bullying me in the exam room. Like, oh, what? Why are you using that antibiotic? Why are you doing this? Well, my other vet doesn't do this. This is what is is the issue for me in this pandemic is because vet clinics are so overbooked. Like my clinic, we have nine doctors and we don't turn anything away. So now other you know, clients around us are hearing that from probably their their neighbors that are our real clients. And so now they come to us and then they they sit there and they bully me in the exam room telling me, well, that's how my, my vet does. And I'm I'm thinking in my head, Okay, I flipped. I flipped. Yeah, you can't see here. We're not on YouTube, but uh, (laughs) Doctor Christie's flipping them off. Uh, Yep. Well, and especially internally, I am. I wish I could externally sometimes, but I think I'd lose my job. We all have clients like. Yeah, I know. We've all been in those positions. I know. I got to learn how to handle that. Uh, That's like shocking to me because that is one of those things where I, uh, I would hope I would never get into a situation like that. But when you're with a vet. I'm like, I'm the quite the opposite. I'm yeah. like, please help me. Tell me everything you know, because I don't know S-H-I fucking T about animals. <laughs> but also help me do it in the most affordable yeah. way possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because And that's where another issue in vet med it's so expensive. arises is because we have this perception that it's expensive because healthcare, human healthcare has insurance. Right. And so, you know, that's where another big thing is people, I, I really truly feel like in my lifetime, I probably won't be able to practice the medicine I want because I have to practice finances. I have to practice decision making for my clients um, and their pets because, and that's not necessarily a bad thing or a knock on clients because yeah, pet care is expensive because pets literally have the same diseases that we do. And so, and that comes with costs with money, you know, food, you know, rechecks, blah, blah, blah. But that's what my struggle is, is 
I, I'll never be able to practice the medicine that I was taught and that I want to practice because we have to worry about costs more because veterinary medicine, I mean, you know, pets, you know, people are above pets ultimately always. And so, you know, human healthcare, it's so much bigger to have insurance. Um, but we don't often think of that for our pets. And so I, Actually, the biggest advice I have is get pet insurance. So number one, trust your vet. Number two, get pet insurance. Easy enough. Yeah. Easy enough, everyone. Yeah. Right. Because then you're you're ensuring that if your pet was in a very difficult situation or a life-threatening situation, you wouldn't have to, to make those difficult decisions of something that could save its life. Versus, um, versus what you can afford. Exactly, exactly. It's a heartbreaking it's, situation it's, to be in. And that's what makes my job very hard is there's some things I could save but I cannot do it because they cannot pay for it. And I cannot give away services because one, it's not my business. Two, we have to keep the lights on. And three, I have to make a living. And that's where we have, that's hard. We could talk so many categories oh, about this, yeah. but that's where whole mental health of veterinary medicine gets so messy because we get bullied by clients. You just want to kill my dog. You don't want to help him. I had a client recently tell me, well, if you're not going to do the surgery because it's, it's too expensive, I'm going to do it at home in my kitchen table. Oh my God. What do I do with that? What do I, because I can't go, okay, I'll do it cheaper because then I'm devaluing my services. And then also my boss would be very upset. And also you can't give everything away from free. Like you guys probably deal with that in some cases in human medicine too. But that's where it gets even more heartbreaking for me is I lay there at night thinking, are they doing surgery on that animal? Like, is it suffering? Like, I can't believe that. I will do it. I... (laughs) I don't trust you, but I can do the surgery at home. Like, yeah, like what are you going to give you? Are you going to like just pour vodka down its throat? Like, uh, like, like this specific case was a dog's tail was broken and the bone was exposed, and I was like, I need to amputate this tail, like the tip of it, so we can get our pain relief, get infection under control. And I even discounted. it. I asked my boss, I was like, Can I just make this to cover anesthesia? They're like, Fine, that's totally fine. No, nope, too expensive for them. And I, I think I almost, I said like $400 for like a thousand of dollar surgery because I wanted to help. I wanted to. And I, I try not, I try to be strong in my role, but it's so hard because I'm like, I can't let that animal suffer. I cannot, I cannot. And this owner, I don't even know what happened to that dog. I don't know if he cut it off himself. He put rubber bands around it. Either option is horrifying to me. And it's just sad. Like, these are the things I see. Like people think it's just puppies and kittens. It's not like literally yesterday, like my patient coded and died in the middle of an appointment. You know what I mean? Or, and then my, my, my work wife's patients, she had two dogs that came in from Craigslist. One, they're both little poodles, no hair, mites all over them. One had two broken femurs, had its intestines coming through its stomach. Yeah, I have pictures. It's like horrifying. It's horrifying. And these are the things- People are monsters. Yeah, people are fucking monsters. I, you know, I think it really sheds to light a, a topic that is just so overlooked, and that is the mental health of veterinarians. Yeah, you know, so much has come up in the recent, obviously through the pandemic, about the mental health of frontline workers working with humans through the pandemic. But I think you're right. There's a huge misconception that veterinarians, um, probably similar to the NICU, that you guys just you know hold babies and play that's with just, puppies, that's and just give play with puppies, maybe baby, give some shots, yeah. maybe prescribe some meds, right? Maybe you, pull a tooth, snip some balls right you're seeing like you're seeing real trauma and mm-hmm. you care so deeply about these animals and you know i wish i had the statistics off the top of my head but i i know i've seen recently the rates of depression suicide and just overall stress and distress from working as a vet it, it's crazy like i and i'm not i'm trying not to get choked up but like yesterday i called my boyfriend i was like i don't know how long i can do this for because it's hard like clients are so mean 
and I just feel overworked. I feel like no one values my services. And honestly, ultimately, I feel like veterinarians are the silent healthcare profession because people don't consider us frontline workers where we were never working from home. We were taking in all your animals, staying late at night. And ultimately, we're we're helping human health too because the human animal bond is strong and that does do things. And and so it's just really hard. It's like I dedicate my life to to care for animals and save animals and work towards public health and and just do what my passion has always been just to find that it's almost more disheartening and depressing a lot of times. And so that's why I'm glad I'm here. And like I got I get to talk about the things I really love too and share my story because it's important and I, I need to remember that it's not always gonna feel like this. And especially because I'm I'm new, like I'm literally barely a year out. And so I feel like this is the hardest year or two. And I just, I have other struggles. Like I need to figure out how to not take things so personally. Like I will have, I've had owners scream in my face, like scream about how horrible of a veterinarian I am in the middle of the lobby um, in front of all my other clients. Like I've had bad reviews and these are just silly things like me being like, I don't recommend a raw, raw diet, you know, just like my recommendations turn into a bashing. And it's just very sad. And I, I worry for my profession and my fellow colleagues because I, I worry that they can't, a lot of people can't take it and mm-hmm. they shouldn't have to take it. Well, it's, it's just another form of like bullying. It is. It's weird though, because, you know, and I, obviously there have been cases in emergency rooms where doctors and nurses are on that end as well, where you're dealing with families, you're dealing with yelling and screaming. But I would say from my experiences, at least personally, that's not usually the case. For some reason, I'm wondering like when the an- when there's animals involved, it's like it's easier to almost dehumanize you oh, as the yeah. provider. I guess I didn't even think of it like that, but that's a good point. And you guys let me know if this is something you guys have experienced on your end too. Like this is something that my work wife and I were talking about the other day. I was like, what? like perception do humans really like pet owners really have like I will have owners that ran out of their medicine that day expecting me to refill at the drop of the dime I have owners telling me like expecting me to answer their voicemails right away when I have 30 appointments I see in a day I have people coming in without appointments with their dogs like leg hanging off and I'm like you guys are expecting so much I am only one person and so I was just wondering I'm like is this something that a lot of human doctors and nurses struggle with? Like people just being like, fill my meds now. You should answer my call now. Like do this now. There's, it's just entitlement. I'm like, yeah. excuse me? Like, yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, these people are probably the ones that also do it to a human doctor. Um, actually, with my human doctor, I had this conversation. She's And I was just like, I love that you like reference that my human doctor. <laughs> you know, that's why if you be like, in, I mean, any veterinarians, we always say human medicine or human doctor. And it's yeah. so funny because the human healthcare professionals always come. They're like, it's so funny that you just think. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's really fun. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but yeah, there's, I think, I think that entitlement is, is universal, you know, and, or like when things are off with in you, like, like, you want it treated, you want it fixed because you want to feel better. I think that's the same thing. Like when your animal's sick, you want it better because like you said, that human animal bond is so, so strong. But I think it's just, it's just so important to remember that we're all doing the best that we can, you know, and you just, you also have to set those boundaries and stuff for yourself too, where like, I can only give so much. And if you can leave work being like, I did the best that I could do, then 
or I left my patients a little bit better than when I left them. I gave them the best care that I could before I left them. Then like, I think that's universal in animal and human medicine. I think that, uh, yeah, that speaks volumes, Daniel, exactly what you said. And I, when you say that, and I think about some of the clients I've bonded with or the patients that are really like my OG patients that I absolutely love. It's, it's that, it's exactly that. Like just doing the best you can and showing your passion and showing that you are trying everything you can, especially in situations where finances are a concern. I do find that owners are very appreciative. Um, and I try, like, for example, I mean, I do have very crazy requests from owners. Like one yesterday, you may appreciate this a little bit more, but like with cats, upper respiratory infections can be very difficult because some cats will struggle with, struggle with it their whole life. And some cats will have it maybe in the beginning and never have it again because it can lay dormant in their body and at times the stress can flare and it can cause all these issues. And so I had this owner, this cat has really, really bad upper respiratory infection, keeps reoccurring every couple months. Um, and they have multiple cats in the household. So they- Their cat hates the other cats. Yeah. Their, their request to me was, you know, I want you to prioritize his health and get him feeling better, but also help my other four cats that aren't here today. And I also don't have much money. And so immediately my, you know, I feel like internally I did a little eye roll, but I was like, Christy, stop, like do what you can for them because I want to be able to serve all kinds of clients, not just the ones that can practice gold standard medicine, you know? Um, and so I was like, you know, educated him again about what upper respiratory is and that this will be reoccurring, um, but helped him find some over-the-counter things to help decrease stress in the house to hopefully decrease flare-ups. So, you know, one plus litter box in the house, the amount of cats, or this pheromone spray that you can get at the store that actually mm -hmm. does help a lot. Yeah. Um, or even like a probiotic to add. Sometimes that can help decrease flare-ups. There's some literature that says that. Um, but really, you know, him... I, and I thought he was going to be frustrated with me. But at the end of that whole conversation, he was very grateful. Um, and I helped him pick different diagnostics to prioritize. Like I said, let's actually do x-rays today rather than blood work. Um, because one, that allows us to get more you know, analysis of how our, our lung pathology is, because that's our biggest concern today, rather than blood work, which may not show us anything and we're still left at square one. So I always like to be upfront with my owners about what diagnostics will potentially tell us or not. I'm the vet that's like... I don't want to waste your money. Like, let's not do this route because it still may give us zero answers. Let's do this that we know is going to progress us somewhere. And so that's why I try to tailor the medicine for each of my clients. And it's hard and frustrating, but I do find when they're really appreciative at the end, it, it, it really matters. And it really helps me like get through and keep going. Um, I just wish there was just more I could do with a lot of the cases I see, but you just got to try your best. Christy, I think you're phenomenal. I think you you put out amazing Instagram content. I mean, like you're so informative too on there. Like, so I truly encourage like anyone listening to like if you have new pets, if you have or like any pets, truly, you're just such a great resource for that. So, <laughs> I mean, I just shouted out, but Christy, can you tell everyone like? where people can find you if they want to like catch up with you. Yeah, definitely. So my main platform is on Instagram. It's Dr. Christy. So D-O-G-T-O-R-K-R-I-S-T-I. I do have a website as well. It's www.drchristy.com, but that needs revamped. Um, and then I do have a YouTube channel that I unfortunately can't even remember what it's called, but it is on my link in my Instagram. <laughs> so eventually want to get back to that a little bit more because I did start YouTubing a bit, but stop that <laughs> well you need to start by uploading that rhino video oh my gosh yes. i know it's yeah. on my phone <laughs> it's so embarrassing what's the best thing that happened to you this week this i'm not even trying to like 
Wow, are you guys? But I wasn't even asking for that. No, I know, I know. But that's why I was like, because like I said earlier, like this week has honestly been horrible. And uh, like, I was so tired today, but I was like, no, like, I love these ladies. I need to go see them, talk to them, hang out in the city. And this is like what I needed. And this is, I just need to socialize more, get out more, hang out with people more. Um, and I just love that you guys gave me the opportunity to share my story and then, and then show that the veterinary veterinarians, veterinary technicians, veterinary assistants, we don't need to be the silent healthcare profession. I just want to show people what we really do. We don't do stupid puppies and kittens. We're on the front line of food security, public health, wildlife conservation, general practice, wellness, you know, it's everything. And so I just thank you guys for having me. And this really has honestly probably made my month. Oh, Christy. Well, on behalf of Danielle, myself, and all the other human healthcare providers, <laughs> you are just, I'm true. We are truly blown away. And we truly are so thankful for your expertise because we, we know our limits and our limits stop with the humans. Um, and we truly thank you for the work that you and the other vets who are out there that are listening, um, that you've done the past two years, because you have, you've been there every you've day. Saved my cat. Yeah. Day in and day out, um, taking care of the animals that have gotten us through the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, thank you, guys. I love you. It was such a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. You're a badass. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I love Christy so much. <sighs> Christy, I just, I want Christy to be my new best friend. She is our new best friend. Yes. She is. We're, we're forcing her. I hope she wants to be our new best friend as much as we want her to be our new best friend. I think she already thinks that we're best friends, which is good okay. because she is. Guys, we hope that you love that conversation as much as we did. And if you are looking for more, you have to catch up with Christy on Instagram. She is always sharing really helpful vet tips for your small fur babies. So please find her on Instagram at Dr. Christy. That's Dogtor, D-O-G-T-O-R. Christy, K R I S T I, Dr. Christy. I know, catchy. And on her blogs, link to her YouTube channel at drchristy.com. Again, spelled D O G T O R K R I S T I. And as always, guys, I know it's annoying, or maybe it's not. Maybe you like to leave reviews, but whatever platform that you are listening, if you have a second, leave a review, like subscribe, like download the episodes, um, share them with a friend. You know, if it resonates with you, we want to hope it resonates with other people. And, you know, especially in this episode, we talked a lot about how our vet friends are those silent healthcare workers. They do mm -hmm. not get the attention, the love that they, that they truly deserve. So share this episode on your story, tag Christy, show our vets some love, Tag your vet friends. Go and actually thank your vet and call your vet and just be like, hey, I just wanted to say thanks for all you're doing. And on that note, WOMED out. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com. We make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, 
Mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.